A quick note before we start today's show. This is our first ever two-person interview on the show. I think it went really great, but I want to know what you think and how we can make it better. Be sure to hit me up on Podchaser or Apple Podcasts via review and let me know what you think. Okay, now to the show. We use PHP to build our MVP, which I think if you look around, like if we were to look in the neighborhood that we live in, it's not so common these days to use PHP. I think it's much easier to say, find a developer who's more familiar with say, JavaScript or Python or even Go these days. We've been live about a year at this point. Um, and so we launched it uh, actually around this time last year. And our first offering was a an Alpha Black Lotus uh, magic card. And that was a $90,000 card. I'm Joe Mahavutivani, co-founder and CEO of Mythic Markets. I'm Tony Tran, CTO of Mythic Markets. This is Code Story, a podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead a team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Labhart, and today how Joe Mahavutavani and Tony Tran built a way to turn your geeky assets into publicly traded companies. All this and more on Code Story. Joe Mahavutavani was born and raised in the Bay Area into an entrepreneurial family. Primarily through his life, he was exposed to small businesses. He went to school at UCSD in San Diego and worked with startups of all shapes and sizes. In fact, he spent some time on the VC side of the fence as well. Tony Tran met Joe in San Diego at school, moving back to the Bay Area around the same time. He's a startup veteran, having built solutions that were acquired by LinkedIn and creating Uber's fraud detection solutions. He even dabbled in the crypto space, which ended up fizzling out at the time that Joe was looking for a technical leader to join his latest venture. Joe is a longtime collector and investor in Magic the Gathering. But one day, his entire collection was stolen, which today would have been worth around a million dollars. Ouch. Being into pop culture relics, Joe wanted a way to make these assets accessible to those who love them most without requiring them to pay huge sums of money. So he and Tony set out to build a solution to do just that. This is the creation story of Mythic Markets. I guess in a nutshell, we turn high value collectible assets, uh, primarily geeky assets like vintage comic books, collectible cards, fantasy art and, and memorabilia and soon esports teams into publicly traded companies essentially. And so you don't have to be an accredited investor in order to take part on the platform. And so these types of assets that we list have historically been sort of out of the capacity of the fans that love this stuff and are high value, as I mentioned. So for instance, like cards and comics and things like that worth, you know, $100,000 or $50,000 or a million dollars. But as an asset class have been beating the market in gold and real estate for at least the past 10 years. You know, these are important sort of relics in our pop culture. And, you know, the value of this stuff has been appreciating like crazy, as I mentioned, driven in part by the popularity of like, you know, with comics, the superhero film genre, you know, the growth of online gaming and also just card games in general. And so, you know, we, we really give the people that love this stuff the opportunity to um, take, you know, to, to get closer to their passions. And so uh, that's why we do what we do. So tell me about 
the MVP. Tell me about the first product you built. You got together and you had this idea, you put your heads together and built out the first product, the first minimum viable product. How long did it take to build and what sort of tools did you use to bring it to life? Our business couldn't really be done without some level of funding. So I guess the MVP to getting that first tranche of funding was, you know, understanding like what needed to be done in order to make this happen. So, you know, there's the technical side, you know, building the marketplace in order to sell fractions of an asset. But the legal side of things really required a fair bit of funding in order to get through the regulatory hurdles. So, you know, we started off with a basic marketplace product um, and with that proof of concept, uh, we were able to raise a a pre-seed round of $250,000. Tell me about that product from a tech side, the tools you used to build it, what sort of, you know, what sort of hammers and nails did you come to the table with? So our backend, that's all running on AWS. At the time we were using GitLab, other technologies we were using. So the front end, that's basically done in React. Back end, at the time we were doing PHP, using one of the frameworks. And those are essentially the main tools that we were using. I think the main functionality, if we want to speak to MVP, is essentially what you see on our website today. Uh, as Joe mentioned, you just go on there, buy shares of a particular asset. And that's essentially what we need to build for an MVP. And that's what we have today. How long has the product been live? We've been live about a year at this point. Um, and so we launched it uh, actually around this time last year. And our first offering was a an Alpha Black Lotus uh, magic card. And that was a $90,000 card. Amazing, that's super cool. That's a great way to jump out there. Um, in the beginning though, um, you know, been around for about a year, but even in the very beginning when you're deciding what to build in that first part of the product, what decisions and trade-offs did you have to make in the short term? And I'm leaning more towards like technical debt or feature cut or things like that. And how did you both cope with those decisions? Probably the biggest one, at least at the beginning, was deciding like what platform to build on. And, uh, you know, whether it was like a desktop uh, mobile web experience first or a native mobile would probably be the first thing. And we decided to kind of leverage our core competencies um, and build a desktop uh, and mobile web product to start um, versus going mobile first. I think one thing that stands out from our team with respect to the rest of the Bay Area was, is we use PHP to build our MVP, which I think if you look around, like if we were to look in the neighborhood that we live in, that's not so common these days to use PHP. I think it's much easier to say, find a developer who's more familiar with say, JavaScript or Python or even Go these days than it is to find someone with experience with PHP. But our main backend engineer was most proficient in PHP. Our decision to build our MVP with PHP was based on the fact that you know, this is the language that we can roll out quickest, that we can roll out the platform the quickest. Since our backend is built in PHP, it's been a little harder to find talent for that in the Bay Area. I thought it was going to be harder to find developers who be you know, PHP developers, but it turns out it's not, it hasn't been too bad. How are you planning to approach that product progression? And I'm looking around not only product maturation, but technical maturation as well, if needed. So, you know, around roadmap, what's the future kind of look like, uh, things like that. So, I mean, with our product, we started with this marketplace product on desktop and mobile web. And so in our business, as it continues to evolve, as the regulatory environment continues to evolve itself, you know, one natural progression of our business is, you know, we're doing the primary issuances right now. So these IPOs and the next piece of that ultimately is going to be trading related. So being able to trade those shares between individual investors. So, I mean, I think like that's probably the natural next step for us in terms of our roadmap. 
yeah, in terms of the technical aspect to that, the back end's the back end, front is front end. Um, the, I think the biggest hurdle that we'll have to overcome are the operational hurdles. I mean, the back end, it can scale for the next, say, year or so in terms of the expected number of users we'll have. But the operational hurdles is what will probably take up more of our time. Because we're a regulated business, we are regulated by the SEC and FINRA. So we are sort of at the behest of regulators, you know, in getting approved and changing laws and the changing rules. So we certainly are learning quite a bit. And, and frankly, I think regulators are also learning quite a bit as this business and this market continues to mature. So we are growing as quickly as possible and growing with the regulators. But I would say that uh, we do you know, have a lot of communication with regulators both good and bad, I would say. How does that factor into new features? So if you want to build something, you obviously need to make sure that your product meets regulation, right? That you're operating, you're operating that way, but does anything new have to go through any sort of approval process, um, external approval processes? Are you audited on a regular basis? Can you tell me a little bit about that? So all of the above, everything that we put out there is reviewed by, you know, our broker dealer partners, ultimately through FINRA and whether it's new features or how we do things is also very important. Our investors are, are reviewed by regulators and, and our broker dealer partners, and we expect that to, to continue. There is a definitely operational overhead that we, you know, uh, incur every time that we make an offering and every time we want to introduce new features. In, in fact, every single piece of marketing we put out has to be reviewed as well. So, okay, cool. So then, you know, you got the regulatory environment to to deal with. I hear that. You know, as you move forward, you've talked about how you're going to progress and mature the product on the tech side and on the product side, and what hurdles come into that. But how do you? How are you going to go about building your team? What are you going to look for in these people to say that's the winning horse for us to to grab up and, and join the team? I think this is a, a challenge that has also evolved, especially considering now that everything is sort of work from home and working remote. And, you know, it makes it difficult to build rapport with uh, new folks. To date, we've been really fortunate so far to be able to work primarily with our friends. And I would say that the most fortunate part for us has been that two thirds of our team have known each other for between 10 and 20 years, depending on the relationship. You know, we're, we're a team of nine. And so, you know, six of us have known each other forever. And I suspect that many of us, especially in today's environment, will continue to be, you know, sort of referring people into the team. And so that helps a ton with uh, relationship building and, and, and ultimately trust. One of the core principles of like our team is, you know, we value culture over thing, anything else, I'd argue, right? But as for engineering hires, I'd say that, you know, one of our core values is moving quickly. Their core value is not being afraid to ask stupid questions, as I'd like to put it. So I think with those two principles in mind, and when we're hiring, we're looking for people who you know are willing to move fast. We're willing to not be afraid to look like a fool when asking questions so that they can understand what the problem is. You know, when we're hiring on the engineering side, those are two main things that we look out for. So you're a team of nine right now. What's the split between engineering and, um, and other, we'll say? Uh, it's about half-half, um, but I would say that our business is somewhat unique for a Valley business where, you know, our op operational side is, we're, we're heavy on the operational side. Unlike most Silicon Valley startups at our current stage, they're probably not going to have like a CFO or like a general counsel and, and, you know, a lot of sort of legal components, uh, whereas 
that's where we sort of heavily index on the operational side. So technical is definitely important as well. But I think like we have an unusual skew uh, toward regulatory and, and finance backgrounds. So then let's talk a little bit about scalability. So you you know you build an MVP and and typically the goal is let's build this thing and get it working. A lot of times what falls to the wayside is scalability. So how did you approach that in the beginning? Did you build it to where you're able to pull some levers and you're scaled or is this something you're going to have to fight uh, as you grow? I think in terms of the technical side, we can spin up new machines into new instances and they'll scale appropriately as the load increases, right? But on the operational side, we're still doing things manually on the on the back end in terms of processing these orders that people place just for regulatory reasons, mainly. You know, as we get more people, I think Joe and I are going to need to clone ourselves eventually or hire more people to help us there or to improve that process somehow. Yeah, I would echo that as well. You know, as Tony mentioned, there is a lot that's being done sort of manually. So for instance, an investor comes in to purchase shares. You know, although you don't have to be accredited, we still need to review investors for what's called suitability and, you know, make sure that they understand that there's, you know, risk involved in, in that sort of thing in terms of not just the value of the assets and the shares, but also liquidity and, and things like that. And so there is a operational component that, you know, may be challenging to scale. Uh, in terms of like, you know, public offerings and stuff like that and acquiring assets, those are things that, you know, I don't think we'll have too much trouble in terms of scaling, but I think it is just that operational overhead. It's less about the technical scaling and it's more about the operational scaling as there's a lot of manual stuff you have to do to meet regulatory demands. Is, is I, did I coin that right? That's correct. And as the regulatory environment continues to evolve and, and change, uh, you know, we are finding ourselves making a lot of on-the-fly changes to appease regulators because the rules are constantly changing like we have to continuously adapt to them and so that certainly uh, interrupts uh, you know some of our sprints and things like that so as you step out on the balcony and you look across what you've built in this last year of mythic markets what are you most proud of for me personally I think it does go back to the the team being able to work with friends has been sort of a surprise, not like a surprising and like a, well, I, I, I never thought that would happen, but like, it's been a real pleasure because I mean, I think like, you know, starting a startup is really, really hard. And without having the team to lean on uh, and, and, and really trust, I, I think like this would be, you know, a lot less fun. And I know that like we've done, for instance, we've been at a number of, you know, expos and, and shows where we, you know, show off the collection and, and, you know, are essentially selling uh, and, and debuting our product to our, our customers. And so, I mean, I think these are opportunities, just great, you know, team building opportunities and, you know, get to know our um, friends in sort of a more professional way and just trusting each other. I was going to say very, very similar thing, Joe, with the team. We've been friends for a while. You know, just having the opportunity to work with you know your friends that's really an interesting experience because before you know with the startup i had before you know there's a lot of folks i didn't know and like with most other companies that worked at you know these are folks that i didn't or i didn't know but just having the opportunity to work with close friends joe i've known for like 15 years or, so, or even more than that and just seeing joe evolve and grow as a leader i thought that you know first of all i'm not sure if i told you but i'm really proud of him and i'm really proud to see the leader that he's transformed into so that for me has been really rewarding wow Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, let's flip the script a little bit. Tell me about a mistake that you guys have made and, and how you and your team responded to it. You know, some of these things are less like mistakes, um, but, you know, necessary at the time, you know, at that point in time for our business. And so, I mean, I think optimizing for speed and expense has been something that we've just kind of had to do. We've had to do more with less, uh, specifically around capital. Some of those decisions have led us to incur more debt than, you know, we otherwise like. One thing I probably would have done was raise more money in order for us to, I think, move faster and incur less of that debt. I, I'm, I'm not a technical person myself, but I think even operationally, I think like had we invested more or had more to invest, we would have been able to bypass some of those challenges. You know, if you're if you're limited in cash and you have to integrate with a particular, say, partner or a service provider, if you're limited on cash, then you have to go with the service provider who can who best suits your needs. At the end of the day, as long as we get it done, in my opinion, that's fine. But as we move forward, you know, hopefully we can grow with our partners as well, and hopefully there be improvements there. And I think that's our main goal. You know, my philosophy is move fast and you know iterate as we progress. So I, I think the way we've operated fits that philosophy. So I wouldn't necessarily say it's any any mistakes, but it's just a part of our operating philosophy. I feel. I am curious from a technical side, what sort of third parties you're using to say move money to message from a technical side. What sort of third party stuff are you integrating with? Our full stack, I mean, just to make this go, um, you know, there's all kinds of, you know, legal partners that we have to work with. We have broker-dealer partners. We work with partners to KYC, our investors, uh, which is like know your customer, and we have to do anti-money laundering checks. Uh, we work with partners to move money. We work with other partners to, you know, establish like wallets. We have we have transfer agents. There's a lot that sort of goes in the works in the background to make this go. We'll switch gears a little bit uh, to you both individually. So who influences the way that you work? CEO, CTO, architect, really, really any person could be anybody. Name a person that you look up to and why. So my parents actually, you know, sort of were the original hustlers in my life. And so they were small business owners. They were in the restaurant business, but eventually, you know, evolved into uh, into videotape like rentals and were the blockbuster of their day. Ultimately, like they, you know, Blockbuster came along and, you know, beat them, but they figured out how to evolve their businesses into those next opportunities. And so they've like never quit. And they used to say, you know, we work hard, so you don't have to. And really always didn't want me to go into entrepreneurship. Like they, you know, wanted me to be a doctor, lawyer, engineer. I, I disappointed at least three times. Seeing them struggle even, uh, and just work really, really hard doing what they had to to make their business successful was something that inspired me. So that was a huge influence for me. This is something I've been thinking about for a while as well. Um, this whole philosophy of moving fast and being uncomfortable and making mistakes. This is something I actually learned at Uber. And this is something I attribute to the CEO at the time, Travis Kalanick. You know, one of our core principles at Uber was basically move fast and essentially you know, not be afraid to make mistakes. And that's why I think at the time you'll, when you used Uber, like say a couple of years ago, you'll often see like the app breaking like every now and then, but those breakages would be fixed relatively quickly. And so to, to answer your question, Noah, I say Travis Klonick um, with his philosophy of how to operate. And that's who I look up to. So 
What does the future look like for the product and for your team? You kind of touched on it a little bit with progressing and, and moving forward, but let's dig into that a little more. What, what do you dream about when you look at the product and, and what, do you, what are you ultimately after? We're doing great with the uh, primary issuances. The big, the, by far the number one feature, I guess, uh, demanded by our investors is liquidity. And so we're really excited to be building the trading platform right now and so that's something that we expect to get done in the next quarter or so. And I think like looking out further, you know, something that's really exciting to, I know for me, for our team, is the opportunity to offer and invest in your favorite esports teams. And so those are opportunities that we're pursuing right now. So that's, that's something that we you know, hope to offer you know, in the near future. And that's a big industry that's coming up. Uh, so that's, that's really interesting. Uh, and, and it fits, it fits really well. Well, if you could go back to the beginning, what would you do differently or where would you consider taking a different approach? I think, you know, we've covered some of those things. I think some of the partners that we have been working with, you know, I think we would have probably invested more to be able to eliminate some of the, the operational technical debt. But I think beyond that, one thing that we would have definitely done was to get to know, you know, the fandom better. And so, you know, what I mean by that is just understand how, you know, although we come from fandom, we sort of, it's always sort of a, a, a slippery slope to use yourself as a model of the ideal user. I think uh, we would have spent more time understanding the spectrum of the types of investors that we were targeting at the time. And so that's something that I think we would have spent a lot more time on. Yeah, in terms of the technical side, you know, I wouldn't change anything, to be honest. You know, with our philosophy of just moving quickly and just iterating, I think no matter how, what start point we have, we'll iterate towards where we're currently at as quickly as possible. So I don't think we'd make any changes on the technical side, to be honest. So you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who has built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world. I think it's going to be a game changer. What advice would you give to that person having gone down this road a bit? I would love for the to, to be able to invest in that thing. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I mean, in terms of advice, I think echoing Tony's, uh, I guess, philosophy is just move fast because a lot of these innovations happen all at the same time. And unless you're operating as if you know someone is chasing you, trying to take it all away every single day, it's it's tough to be successful because you know a lot of these markets, it is winner take all. Um, or, you know, winner takes most, you know, I would just encourage them to, you know, stay on the gas. But, you know, with that said, I will also say that that mentality, especially, you know, here in the Bay Area, historically has been a little pernicious in some ways. You know, it is what makes the Bay Area, you know, technical scene successful. But at the same time, you know, it, I, I wouldn't call it healthy necessarily. Well, that's good advice. Well, thanks, guys. I appreciate you being on the show today. And um, thank you for telling the product creation story of Mythic Markets. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us, Noah. And this concludes another chapter of Code Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Laphart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. Support the show on patreon.com slash code story for just five to ten bucks a month. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening.